Let's open our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. I've entitled the morning's message, God's Will for You. 1 Thessalonians, where Paul read for us earlier, um, he's correct. There's, this is um, a verse that's going to help us understand a lot of other scriptures and why my main point this morning is going to be comparing scripture with scripture and the importance of that. So we read here this one verse, as it is as we reflect on Thanksgiving and the holidays. We read here in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I've had people um, come up to me, many, over the years, and have asked, how do I know what God's will is for my life? And basically, I point them to 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18. The only one thing I can say for sure that God wants for your life is that you're grateful. And you have this attitude of gratitude for all that he's done in everything. And as I thought it through, I got here everything, question mark. Is this one, I should say, this is one of those scriptures that we must compare scripture with all scripture. And other things that when it pertains to being thankful. This verse categorically says without any doubt, everything. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you. If you want to know what God's will is for your life, is that you give thanks in everything. And I have in my notes, everything, question mark, everything. That's what it says. It says everything. Well, I would like to say that this is one of those scriptures that we must compare scripture with scripture. And I'm going to go through a series of examples. One of them is going to be in the area of prayer, what Jesus had to say about it. Um, And another, an example I'm going to use is being obedient to those in authority Uh, whether it is in the government or in the church or whatever. And um, what the scriptures have to say and why we must compare scripture with scripture when it comes to giving thanks, when it comes to authorities over us, when it comes to prayer. So when Paul said, um, there's going to be more more than one verse here, he had no idea what he was talking about. (laughs) I think he did though. (laughs) So, for an example of this verse here, I'd like you to turn to John chapter 14 for our first example. And in John 14, I want to draw your attention to verse 13. And here we read, And whatever we ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will 
do it. Is that clear enough? Is that not categoric? Is that not an absolute statement? And if I would read this and not compare it with other scripture, I would have to come to a complete conclusion that um, whatever I ask for, um, in Jesus' name, I'm going to get it. That's what this verse clearly says. Well, if we compare this um, absolute statement of Scripture from the Lord himself to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, which I'm going to have you turn to, Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and compare some scripture with scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is Paul, I believe this is what he was stoned, um, and um, they left him there for dead, and they thought he was dead. And I think he was dead. I think he actually died at that point, and I think the Lord took him to heaven. And so we read in chapter 2 Corinthians 12, um, verse 2, Paul says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or whether out of the body, I don't know, God knows, but such a one was caught up to the third heaven. He's referring to himself. Um, The air around us we call the, the heaven. The outer atmosphere we call the um, second heaven, and then there's heaven itself. So there's more. When it refers to the third heaven, he's talking about the heaven that's eternal. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words. And this always intrigued me. Because I always thought when you go to heaven, it would be the thing that you saw. That would be the thing that you'd talk about. Interesting, um, it's the words that he comments on. He says, which is not lawful for a man to utter. In other words, I don't have words to express the things that I heard in heaven. It's not, I'm not able to do it. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I won't be a fool. For I will speak the truth, but I forbear lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation Well, there's the word revelations, but it's not the book. (laughs) A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, interesting, to buffet me, or I would use the word hassle me, um, lest I be exalted above measure. Now concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me question at this point is this pleading not a prayer is he not talking to the Lord I would call that a prayer and he's not only praying he's pleading and 
I did this three times. Paul's used to getting his prayers answered. And didn't answer the first time, didn't answer the second time. The third time, the Lord answered him. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. He got his answer. Here's my point. If Jesus said in John 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Here's an example. Does this contradict the scriptures? No, but I'm gonna show you why in just a second. And my point here is, you have to take into consideration all of what the scripture says about a particular subject. So in this case, Paul is pleading, and his prayer goes unanswered, and the Lord says, no, but my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul says, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast of my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproach, in needs, and persecution, in distress for Christ's sake, for when I'm weak, then I am strong. So if we don't compare scripture, you could come up with an extreme view like the false doctrine of the false teachers who will tell you if you pray and you are not and you didn't get healed, it is because you didn't have enough faith. How many of you have ever heard that? It's, we call it the, um, uh, probably the father of this is Kenneth Hagin, who his uh, disciple was Kenneth Copeland. And uh, they're prosperity teachers, but basically, um, I kiddingly call it name it and claim it, or grab it and blab it. In other words, there's, they say there's power in your words. So be careful what you say. Um, if you say something, uh, there's authority and power in your words, and that's going to happen to you. Let me displace it with, I could use many examples, I'll just give you one. When David was running from Saul in the Old Testament, and um, he was cornered, I think it was at En Gedi, and he said to one of his guys, he says, surely today I'm going to die. That's a negative confession, David. (laughs) Did David die? No. And the idea that there's power in your words is fictitional. And um, there are churches, um, prosperity churches primarily, that will tell you, uh, be careful what you say and how you say it because there's authority and power in your words. So what did Jesus mean when he told people, your faith has made you well? Well, um, let me just read a couple paragraphs here. When Jesus said to certain people, your faith has made you well, he was saying that their faith, their confidence in him, had been the means of their restoration. The power of Christ was what affected and cured, but his power was applied in connection with their faith. Just as the faith of some enabled them to receive healing, 
So healing was sometimes um, stymied by a lack of faith. Uh, If you're taking notes, you might want to write down Matthew 13, verse 58. Uh, In the same way, salvation comes to a sinner through faith. Everyone who is saved must believe. But it is the power of Christ that saves, not the power of faith. Faith is only the instrument, not the power itself. The power lies in Jesus Christ and our faith in him that he has the ability to do it is um, the healing source. But also we must recognize um, that Jesus did not, it, he, he wasn't indiscriminately um, uh, healing all people of all time Um, For example, in the scene of the disabled man at the pool of Bethesda, where multitudes gathered to be healed, Jesus chose only one man to be healed. Taking notes, that's John 5, 1 through 11. And his is an interesting case. Jesus asked the man if he wanted to be made well. And this was the guy who couldn't get down to the water um, because everybody else beat him to the draw. Uh, his answer was steeped in superstition. There was no one to carry him to the pool and he wasn't fast enough to get into the water at the right time. This confused and needy man was healed by God's grace. He had no faith in Jesus. He didn't know who Jesus was. He didn't even know it was Jesus who had healed him until later. And that was in John 5, if you're taking notes, verses 12 and 13. Another example of someone who was healed before faith is a man born blind in John 9. He did not ask to be healed, but uh, from many others, he was chosen to be healed. Another example of God's grace. In the case of the man born blind and the case of the man at the pool, Jesus dealt with their physical problems separately from dealing with their spiritual need. The man in John 9 later comes to a full realization of who Jesus is and exercises his faith in him. Uh, Jesus' healing of these men was not about their faith as, as much as it was about his will. Let's get back to our original verse which tells us that um, what is the will of God for your life? To give thanks to everyone. And my answer to those who teach um, these things, we need to turn to 1 John chapter 5, which will begin to show us the importance of studying the whole counsel of God. When you have a verse that is absolutely saying something, it absolutely says in everything, Jesus said, ask anything in my name and I will do it. Paul did, didn't happen. Why? Well, 1 John chapter five, picking it up in verse 14 and 15. Now this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything, and then we have these words, according to his will. And now it begins to make sense. Oh, the kids come and it's their birthday and he's 16 years old and says, 
Dad, I want a brand new 2021 Corvette for my birthday. <laughs> and Dad says, it's in your dreams. And uh, it's not, it's not going to happen. But I, I'm asking, well, it's not my will, son, to give you a 2021 Corvette. And uh, same with younger kids coming and saying, I want all the candy that I could possibly uh, eat for my birthday. And mom says, sorry, you're not going to get it. That's not my will for you. But it's what I want. But it's not my will. So we read here, if anyone, if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we have asked for him. Well, um, again, the example of Paul. He pleaded with the Lord. But God had a reason for not granting that prayer. Made him pray it three times. And he says, nope, I'm not going to give it to you. You might get big-headed, Paul. You just got back from heaven. You could go on a book signing tour and sell a lot of books and make a lot of money and become big-headed. And I'd just as soon keep you humble. So I'm going to break you. And he actually allowed a demonic source to jab him. I don't know what Buffett means, um, except annoy. I feel buffeted. It's a pretty good word from time to time. And I go, what's, what's going on with this? Why do I feel this way? And, um, or why am I going through this trial right now? It doesn't make any sense, and I can't figure it out. Well, it could be God's way of keeping us, let's say, usable so that um, we don't, what I see happening today, and I'm getting a little sidetracked here, that um, Paul and I were were talking about the state of the church and how in the Protestant circles, a lot of them are are declining, which which the scripture talks about. But I think the primary reason for this is people are, that still go to church, are looking to find a church, as it says in scripture, having, they're looking to have their ears scratched, telling them what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. And I think Mike made a really good point of that last week, talking about that very thing. And so I, I find that um, um, most people want to go to a place that doesn't talk about hell, doesn't talk about judgment, doesn't talk about conviction, won't teach the whole counsel of God. Because when you teach the whole counsel of God, you can get off track. If you don't teach the whole counsel of God, you can get off track, like Kenneth Copeland. He took that one verse, and with that one verse, um, um, Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, I'm gonna do it. And he built a whole doctrine around it. And um, it's a false doctrine because it's simply not true. You have to compare scripture with the scripture. Even Jesus didn't give thanks in all things. Just the opposite. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. Not only did he not give thanks for the religious teachers of his day, some people say, Dwight, you shouldn't, you shouldn't mention other preachers or, or names from the pulpit. Well, Jesus did. Paul did. 
Paul talked about Alexander the coppersmith who did him much harm and other guys that um, he just called them out. And um, if we are to warn the flock, I can't just say, well, look out for this doctrine or that doctrine without telling you who's behind the doctrine. Good place for an amen. You need to know. And um, I'm not bemoting the personality or, or that person except the doctrine that they teach to expose it so that you'll know what to look out for. Jesus was no fan of the teachers of his day. In Matthew 23, we find that um, he gives his opinion of the religious leaders, the scribes, and the Pharisees. We read that in verse two. Jesus spoke to the multitude, saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works, for they say it, but they don't do it. Now, the rest of this chapter is verbiage. And if we're to take the scripture in everything give thanks, that would mean everything. And all these other teachers, well, they're still Christians, so um, we should love them. And if they really are Christians, we should love them. But at the same time, uh, point out their error. Um, I wouldn't use the verbiage that Jesus uses in 23 describing Kenneth Copeland. But Jesus does. Let me draw your attention to uh, verses 13 to 33. He uses the word woe. And he's not riding a horse when he's saying it, okay? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves. What is he telling them? You guys aren't going to heaven. Even though you're the religious leaders and teachers of the Jewish people, you're not going to heaven. You're hypocrites. Nor do you allow those who enter in to go before you. Um, I have a couple verses um, uh, penned out here that um, he calls them blind guides. In verse 16, woe to you, blind guides. Um, Then he refers to them a little bit farther as, um, let's see, a brood of vipers. Verse 33, um, serpents, he calls them serpents, brood of vipers. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? Well, that doesn't make you feel very warm or very very fuzzy. No, he went right after them. And he was talking to the disciples. And he says, a lot of what they say is true, but they're very hypocritical. Example, um, it, it was the Pharisees and passing trains and motor cars and... Uh, no, when you would enter the temple, you would actually have to exchange your currency to what they call the temple shekel. And the rate of exchange um, was inflated. It wasn't, we weren't talking dollars and dollars. If you had um, a Roman coin that was worth a dollar um, and you exchanged it for a dollar for a temple shekel, it would cost you a buck and a half. 
and that extra 50 cents would go to the Pharisees. We call it skimming. They were skimming the top, and they were making a profit up. Why do you think this meek and mild and lowly Jesus made a cord of whips and went into the temple and started turning over tables? Mild-mannered Jesus. Giving thanks for these religious leaders. Not at all. So not only was he not giving thanks in all things, he was exposing and exposing (laughs) of these leaders and everybody saw it happen. And it had to be quite a a spectacle to see the Lord, the Bible says, be angry. There's stuff going on in our world today that we need to be angry about. Good place for day, amen. Things that are being done, things that are being said, uh, we need to be angry about without sinning. And say, no, 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 that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we're supposed to be thankful in everything. Well, that's what it says, but you're not comparing scripture with scripture. Another example is as it pertains to comparing scripture with scripture, more pertinent to what's going on in our society today is Romans chapter 13, which I'm gonna ask you to turn to. Romans chapter 13. And we're looking at verses one through four. Romans 13, verse one, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. I mean, is that not clear enough? Uh, Whatever the governing authorities might be, whether it be in the government itself, which that's the context here because he's... um, Uh, referring to law enforcement, but it could pertain to also the church. Now, a practical application of what we just read today um, with government mandates and the vaccine, and I want to address it because I know many, many a church who took Romans chapter 13, quoted it to their congregation, and said, the Bible clearly says we are to be under the authority of our government. Therefore, we will be. And um, if they're saying that you have to wear a mask to go to church or have social distancing, then that's what we're going to do. And as they stood before the congregation, I've had people come up to me Uh, that are new and say this is a scripture that uh, our pastor quoted to us and um, many of them didn't even open up at all and sad to say some of them will never reopen again. Why? Because they took this scripture at face value. But here's another good example of comparing scripture with scripture. Do we obey the government? That's what we're told to do here. But if I just left you with this one verse, which I'm not going to, which you probably already figured that out, turn with me to Acts chapter four, which my Bible just flipped open to. 
And let's look at verses 13 to 21. A little background here. Um, We have Peter and John put into custody. And um, they're disturbed as they're they had, they had uh, taught the people and preached Jesus the resurrection from the dead in verse two. And then they laid hands on them and, and put them in custody the next day for he was, it was already evening. Um, he had, they had uh, healed a man. And so what had happened is the next day, as they were going into the temple, let's pick it up in verse 13. Um, They rebuked the scribes and the Pharisees, and when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. Let that sink in. The Bible says that God chooses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And we just read, what about, what is real wisdom? The fear of the Lord is just the beginning of wisdom. And so, in God's selective, he didn't go to the Hebrew University in Jerusalem to pick out his apostles. No, he went to the Galilee to pick up plain ordinary fishermen who were untrained and uneducated. And he said, come and follow me. And they did. And these religious leaders who got their PhD from Jerusalem University, um, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained. Men, uh, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. So again, it wasn't Peter, it wasn't John. These are ordinary fishermen, they don't have anything going for them. It's because they were hanging out with Jesus that this happened. And seeing the men who had been healed standing with them, they couldn't say anything against it. They had just healed this guy. And so they couldn't say it didn't happen because there he was. But when they commanded them to go out of the council, they conferred among themselves. What are we gonna do? What shall we do with these men? For indeed, a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. Everybody knows about it. We can't deny it. So that it spreads no farther than this to the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak no more in his name. And they called them and they commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. Who's doing the speaking here? Those who are in authority. This is the authority. What does Romans 13 tell us? Be in submission to the authorities that are over you. And the scribes and the Pharisees were the religious authority in Jerusalem. And they said, you guys cannot do this anymore. Let's read on, verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you tell us. Should we listen to your authority 
or should we listen to the authority of God? For we cannot but speak these things which have been seen and heard. So when they had been further threatened, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man, the man was over 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing had been performed. What's your point, Dwight? Well, my point is, Romans 13 clearly says, if you just take that one scripture without comparing it with other scripture, that you have to come to the conclusion that you have to submit to what governing authorities say. Now, as we look at this in a practical application for today, what is our government telling us to do? It is, and um, they're doing as, as much as they can to reinforce these mandates and continuing by blatantly lying to you. Anything you hear in the news, unless it's a, um, a Christian network, there are very few and far between. Um, the big scare now is uh, the, the variants that's gonna be coming out of Africa and there's flight restrictions being put on and there's mandates that are coming out and it's our government that are saying, you must. Australia, the indigenous apparitions, uh, if I'm saying that right, Aborigines, thank you very much. Um, the indigenous people, the original people of Australia are being rounded up and they're being put into, I call it a prison because that's exactly what it is. And I think there's a door in and I do not believe there's a door out. And they've become that strict with the authorities that be that are mandating that this is going to happen. And I believe it'll try to make its way into America. So we've been commanded and charged by our, he's not our president. I mean, everybody in this room knows that the, the election, that it was a landslide win for Trump. Everybody knows it. And if you don't, then you need to, I don't know what you need to do. <laughs> do your homework. You know, this, this is a, a no-brainer. Uh, we are, our government, our world right now is run by a very elite group of people. I could name some names. They don't know that they're puppets being used by demonic forces to bring about a one-world government and one-world religion. And that's, we see the, the forefront of this right now. All right, I'll tell you the, the three main players. There's others, but I'll tell you the top three. Bill Gates, the Clinton Foundation, number two. George Soros, number three. I could name more and more, but as people are digging and doing their homework and research, these are the ones with the money and that are ones pulling the strings right now. And if you don't hear, hear and uh, take a stand and name names, it doesn't take much. With the technology we have today, you, you're wise enough to have enough discernment to say that makes sense, this, this doesn't. I got a nice note from Curtis Bowers, I sent him a thanks giving wish and he got, he got back with me. And um, um, you know, as you know, agenda one and two has been saying this has been gonna happen. 2017, everything 
he's talked about is coming to pass. Most people who are not Christians, born again, and if they don't know their Bible, don't realize this is all part of God's sovereign plan. He's actually allowing this to happen. He allowed Job to lose seven sons and three daughters in one day. God is sovereign. Big powwow in heaven. The angels and Lucifer came and stood before God. And they said, hey, have you guys considered my servant Job? Boy, there's nobody like him on planet Earth. He's very wealthy, very wise. People come from all over to get counsel from him. And in one day it was all taken away. And um, the devil asked for him. Why did he have to ask for him? Because he does not have the authority within himself to do what he wanted to do. And the Lord said, go ahead. He gave him a green light for that to take place. And he did so, and he says, but you can't touch his flesh. So that what we're talking about here is the sovereignty of God. And you go, why in the world would the Lord want that to happen? Do you know how many millions of people around the world take comfort from the book of Job? And that God in his sovereignty and wisdom allowed this to happen to this man knowing that in his sovereignty he will allow certain things to happen to accomplish his greater purpose. What you're watching in the world right now is God allowing certain people who think they're the ones with the power and so on and so forth and they're gonna set up their utopia by trying to get rid of half the people on planet Earth. And um, the fact of the matter is, it's all leading up to the Antichrist taking over. My friends, the hour's late. Can I get an amen on that? And we see these things unfolding right before us. So as it pertains to, well, the Bible says in Romans 13, that we are to be submissive to the authorities that are over us. And take the mandates, take the green card, uh, do this, do that. And uh, they're going door to door in Australia forcibly vaccinating the people. And um, pastors and churches and businesses today say you should submit and obey their mandates. I have people come up to me on a weekly basis, said I need an exemption letter. My daughter's gonna lose her job. She's already lost one, because she won't take the jab. And um, she's scared, she doesn't know what to do. And much of um, our society is in this. And of course, my advice to her is please encourage her and no matter what the cost, don't do it. No matter what the government says. I know what it says in Romans 13, but I know what it says here in Acts chapter four. And they said, well, you can tell us, who should we obey? Should we, be, in this case, should we obey um, our government or should we obey our constitution? Is everybody with me on that? Everybody understands what the first amendments are in our constitution they have no right to be doing what they're doing 
And people are catching on little by little and slow by So who, who are you supposed to listen to? Well, this, fo- this country really was founded on biblical pr- principles. Somebody sent me something yesterday about the Salvation Army. They went woke. They're speaking out against white people. Well, check it out for yourself, be a Berean. And I've been watching them going downhill for years. But it's like a cancer that's creeping in. And you got one of um, two choices. You can obey what this country was founded on, our Constitution. Or you can go to our government, which is totally corrupt, especially um, the Democrats and most of the Republicans, unfortunately. And I didn't mean to get political. I'm really not. I'm really trying to make this make sense in light of comparing scripture with scripture. In this case, John and Peter had their own mandate. Who should we listen to? Listen to you guys? Or should we listen to God? And they had to make that choice and they they took their stand. Did it cost them? Oh yeah. Every one of them was martyred eventually. But you know where they are right now? (laughs) I could tell a lot of St. Peter standing at the gate stories, but I won't go there. (laughs) They're home. This is temporal. And here, we have to have a clear conscience before the Lord. And um, let's continue on. So when it comes to to the jab, we, we have to say, no, I'm sorry. Our Constitution says I have the freedom to say no to what you're telling me to do and you're going against it and you're supposed to be enforcing it. I'd like to give an Old Testament example of this uh, because I like tying in the old with the new when it comes to authority over you. Turn with me to the book of Daniel, chapter three. This is um, two main points that I wanna bring out in Daniel chapter three. One of them is Daniel chapter three is a Old Testament picture of the New Testament teaching in the book of Revelation of God supernaturally protecting the Jewish people during the seven year period of time. It's a picture of that. You'll, You'll see it as we go through it. But number two The other is obeying the government, which would be King Nebuchadnezzar, who was king over the entire world, or God. So let's get into it. I'm going to explain um, Nebuchadnezzar uh, is king. This you should find interesting, and you should see the picture begin to unfold with verse 1. The king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubics, and its width was six cubics. He set it up in the plain in the province of Babylon. And so we have, we have the sixes here, the six, 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 six cubics, and six cubics high, six cubics wide. Oh, we got six, six, that's interesting. And he sets up this image of himself. Sound familiar? Isn't that what the Antichrist does? Sets up an image of himself? that he could cause it both to speak 
It's Numbers 666. And Nebuchadnezzar sent word to all the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the judges, the magistrates, all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar set up. So all these, um, there was 120 different delegations that actually showed up for this thing. And um, verse four, the cry went out to you, it is commanded, all right? We have a command from the king. O peoples, nations, and languages, that the time that you hear the sound of the horn, the harp, the flute, the lyre, the psaltery, the symphony of all kinds of music, well, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. You have to bow down and worship. And whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately cast into a burning fiery furnace. So at that time when the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, symphony, and all kinds of music, all the people and nations and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had made. However, in verse eight, therefore, at that time, we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Boy, they had to stick out like sore thumbs, huh? Everybody's down, but who's left standing? And as they're left standing, um, this guy comes and accuses the Jews and spoke to King Nebuchadnezzar. O king, live forever. Verse 10. Um, you made a decree, didn't you? That all who hear the sounds of the flute and harp and lyre and psaltery and symphony and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Well, there are certain Jews whom you overset over the affairs of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar's response. In rage and fury, he commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, I'm going to cut you a break. I'm going to give you a second chance. Now, if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, sultry symphony, and all kinds of music, and this time if you fall down and worship the image which I made, well, good. But if you do not, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Who's going to protect you? Because I'm the king. And um, I would have liked to have seen this because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said to the king, and it wasn't like this, oh, 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 okay. <laughs> no, they were cool, calm, and collective. This, this was not anything to 
mull around, oh, we gotta go and pray about it or anything like that at all. He said, um, oh Nebuchadnezzar, we have, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve, he's able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from the hand of your king. But notice this. But even if he doesn't, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read to you Exodus chapter 20, the second commandment, and give you the reason they would not bow down to the image. This is the second of the Ten Commandments. You shall, ha- you shall not make for yourself any carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers of their children to the third and fourth generation who hate me and showing mercy to those who love me and keep my commandments. What did they have in the back of their head? The word of God. They're faced with an ultimatum. I am the king. You do it or you die. Let me just do a little sidetrack here because now Nebuchadnezzar is really full of rage and he's not satisfied with the temperature of the furnace. So for some reason, the Holy Spirit decided to tell us that it had to be heated up seven times hotter. That number there is there for a reason, because seven goes along with the seven years of the seven-year tribulation, where God supernaturally seals, remember? Revelation 7 He seals 144,000 from the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. They're supernaturally protected. And so I believe this is an Old Testament picture of it. And so they bound him. They heated up the furnace seven times hotter, verse 13. And they bound Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, cast them into the fire. The guys who cast them in, they all died. Okay? And... um, They fell in, verse 23, and bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, didn't we cast three guys into the midst of the furnace? They answered, that's true. He said, well, look, I see four men walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the son of man. Who was in there with him? The Lord Jesus Christ himself. The only thing that was burned, not their hair, they didn't have any smell of smoke. The only thing that was burned off were the things that bound them. They were bound. What happens and what's the main purpose for the Lord taking Israel through the tribulation? To humble them, to break them, So they finally get to the point. Remember the last thing that Jesus said to the Jews? You're not gonna see me again. You're rejecting me. You're not gonna see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Um, 
when they're driven in Revelation chapter 12 to Petra, when they see the abomination of desolation, they head for the hills, that's what Jesus told them to do. There during this period of time, Satan goes after them, but they're supernaturally protected. The army that the Antichrist sends out after them, the earth opens up and swallows them. And it says that um, the, the devil goes after and makes war with the woman, which is Israel. But there's a breaking that's going on here. And what do they do? Well, they repent. Uh, we're told in Hosea, I think it's chapter five, the last verse, where it says, you will not see me again until you confess your iniquity or sin. What I want to point out here, it's not in the plural, it's in the singular. In other words, Israel's, not their sins, their single sin. What was Israel's single sin? John 1 verse 7 or 11. He came unto his own and his own received him not. And then it says that... um, in chapter six, verse one and two, that they say, we'll know what we'll, we'll do. This is Israel speaking at the end of the seven year period of time. We're gonna repent. After two days, we're gonna repent. And on the third day, he'll raise us up. What do we read in the New Testament? One day is a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years as of a day. How long has Jesus been gone for? Oh, around 2,000 years, just a couple days. And so what happens after the seven-year period of time at the end of the tribulation? We were reading it yesterday. We finished Isaiah from 59 to 66. Talked all about what I'm talking about right now. And at the end of that seven-year period of time, we have them calling out on the name of the Lord and who shows up. We read in Isaiah that he was returning from Basra That's Edom. We know it today as Jordan. And if you go to Isaiah chapter six, it'll tell you that it's actually Petra. And uh, that's where they go to. So we have the Lord returning, but his garments are all full of blood. Why? Because the last judgment in the bowl judgments is the battle of Armageddon. And when the Lord comes and defeats them, how does he do it? Well, it says there was a sword that came out of his mouth. And it was that fast that it was all over. The false prophet, the beast, cast into lake of fire. Satan himself put in the pit and sealed for the next thousand years. Because after a thousand years, he's going to be released. Boy, am I getting sidetracked here. (laughs) But here's the chronology. We're in the church age right now. It's very late. I fully believe the Antichrist, I don't know who he is. Um, be careful for people who are telling you who the Antichrist is. This, we're not gonna be here when the Antichrist is revealed. And the way he is revealed is he will sign a peace treaty with Israel for seven years. That's when you'll know who the Antichrist is. Not until then. Did not, 
Paul say there are many antichrists in the world even right now and the spirit of antichrist is amongst us. So as we look at this picture here, again, um, my point with this is that um, uh, they're supernaturally protected because they obeyed the word of God rather than the government. Is everybody with me with my point that I'm making here? And I'm taking this, I wanna keep reminding you of uh, Romans 13, obey the authorities that are over you, fine. Um, But do it with the complete knowledge of everything else the scripture has to say on this subject. Can I get an amen on that one? So a lot of people who really don't know their Bible are very confused right now. They don't know the things that I just told you, the scenario of events, that there's gonna be the seven-year period of time. We're not gonna be here. Matter of fact, the Bible says that we return with the Lord when he comes back. His garments are stained, why? Because he just took care of all the enemies of Israel. And they will be established, and we were reading in Isaiah, men's prayer yesterday. They're never gonna wander again. No more fiddlers on the roof. And... um, uh, it says in Isaiah, they'll plant their vineyards. Uh, they'll build their homes. Nobody's going to take their homes. Nobody's going to take their um, vineyards. And we'll enter into what God promised David, and that is a 1,000-year millennial reign. So maybe you're in a fire this morning. I know some people, some people even in our fellowship that are really going through it. They're in the fire right now. And um, what hope do they have? Well, I could be thankful for a lot of things. I bet you guys thought this was gonna be a Bible study on Thanksgiving, didn't you? (laughs) No. But having said that, it's like... um, um, Paul and Silas um, let's, let's turn to Acts chapter 16 I got a little, little bit of time left Acts chapter 16 picking it up in verse 16 I'll tell you what happened a little bit before this um, actually saw a program completely dedicated to uh, demon possessed people being um, um, exercised and the whole program was about it. Judy and I were amazed that they actually put something like this on TV. And they were talking about how the intensity of this being more prominent these, these days than, than in the past. Well, in Act 16, there was a slave girl who had the spirit of divination, which means she could predict things into the future. She was demon-possessed. That's verse 16. Who brought her masters much profit for fortune-telling. She was a prostitute for fortune-telling. And she had um, her, her pimps that she gave the money to. That's what we're reading here. And then she, it says in verse 17, the girl followed Paul and us, that would, that would be Silas, crying out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. 
And this she did for many days. I mean, every day, day in and day out. Finally, Paul has had it up to here with her. And he, I, he greatly annoyed. <laughs> That's the word is used here. He turned around and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. Now this is interesting to me. It says that very hour. Why not instantly? Answer, I don't know. (laughs) Do you know it's okay to say, I don't know? It doesn't give us an explanation here. But when the masters, or her pimps, saw that they were, hope for profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged him into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men, these Jews exceedingly trouble our city. They teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. Then the multitudes rose up together against them and uh, commanded them to be beaten with rods. Now they get beat up. They laid many stripes on them, means they were whipped. They threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them secure. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. If you were a Roman guard and one of your prisoners escaped, you're the one who took the penalty and you were taken out. And how are Peter and Silas handling this for only doing what the Lord had called them to do? At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And um, the prisoners were listening to them. I want to camp on this. I want to camp on this, those listening live streamer that are here. Um, You are going to be more and more right now. It's those that are opposed to the government's mandate that are becoming the bad guys. And that is happening exponentially. Where if you say anything bad about taking this this vaccine, that you're marked and you're noted. And the more prominent your position, more of a threat you will become. Uh, My answer to that is, and it should be yours, not on my watch. And as far as me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. And we're gonna do what the Lord says. And I don't care what your mandate says, period. Do with us what you want to. All too often we lose sight of the big picture. What's big picture, Dwight? Big picture is this is all temporal. Big picture is we're just pilgrims and strangers passing through. A lot of us are getting older. I know I am. (laughs) I do the smallest thing and I gotta go sit down for half an hour. And I'm just totally tired. And I want to regress just a little bit. I'll hopefully make my way back. You need to know that Nebuchadnezzar got saved. He was watching. And when they, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego explained to them, and he says, your God can do this, your God is God. And he made a decree that um, the, the, he blessed the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why? People are watching you. People are watching me. How are they going to handle this one? 
What are they going to do? Are they going to be thankful in everything? Well, that depends. It's hard for me when I don't understand when a seven-year-old gets a vaccine and he's found dead the next day. And now the Bible's telling me to be thankful in that? I don't know if I can be. Well, you shouldn't be. Why? Because there's more to that verse when you study the whole counsel of God. And might I make the case now more than ever, you have to know the entire Bible. You need to see the pictures of Old Testament pictures and New Testament teachings, how it comes together. And that um, you can make an absolute statement like in everything give thanks. Well, Paul didn't. He wanted out. He pleaded. But he didn't have the, the full picture. The full picture is here, it says, the prisoners were listening to them. These two guys just got the snot beaten out of them. They're in prison and they're singing, peace give I to thee. No, I won't sing anymore, don't worry about it. They're singing worship songs. And uh, suddenly there was a great earthquake. So that the foundation of the prisons were shaken and immediately the doors were opened and everyone's chains was loosed. And the prisoner, keeper of the prison, awakened from sleep, seeing the prison door open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to do Harry Carey. He's going to do himself in. Said, if I don't do it, my captain will. So I'm going to do it myself. But Paul cried out and said, hold, don't do it, don't do anything. We're still here. Then he called for light and ran in and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. Chains off, earthquake, gates open of all the chains. And this is blowing his mind. He can only say one thing to them. What must I do to be saved? What God do you have? So he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And that's exactly what happened. I want to comment on something here so it's not taken and misunderstood. Just because the prisoner got saved, Paul and Silas knew that the rest of the family would. But that's not necessarily the case. You may have parents that are walking with the Lord that are saved, but that doesn't automatically mean that the kids in the family are saved. If they're under the age, I think, of accountability, yes. But if they're brought up in a Christian home, I hear this all the time. Um, kids leave home, go to college, and they, they deny the faith. And many of them walk away. And many of you know what I'm talking about right here is really happening. So my point is you're being watched, and um, um, we are to be thankful. Here we are, Thanksgiving holiday 2021, a new year like no other. Families are splitting up over these issues. Um, People are losing jobs over these issues because they refuse to take the jab. Many are sick, many are suffering. Yet, in closing, as we compare scripture with scripture, the importance of the whole uh, word of God 
is essential in these days. We must take, we must um, take our text. In everything, give thanks. That was our scripture this morning. For this is God's will for your life. What's the name of the title? God's will for my life. What is God's will for my life? Be thankful in everything. Absolute statement. So this Thanksgiving, you hear people say as they go around the table, what are you thankful for? Well, I'm thankful for um, mom's gravy. Well, I'm thankful for my job or whatever. And um, this 2020 is like none other before. So as we consider our verse, we must look at at the big picture, and that is we are just really passing through. Jesus said, in this world, you will be persecuted, and you will find persecution. You won't find that in the, you ever hear the, the Bible promise verse with all the promises of God in it? Oh, you must, must have heard of God's, okay. So some have. It's just a book that have all the promises of God. You know the one that isn't in there? All those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's not in that book. <laughs> they left that one out. It doesn't go along with my best life now. So this Thanksgiving, know that we're just passing through. It's getting late. It's getting close. Fellowship is essential right now, gang. The Bible says in Hebrews 10.25, I think it is, um, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. A lot of people are falling away. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And do it all the more as you see the day approaching. I'll leave you with a simple question. Do you see the day approaching this Thanksgiving 2021? What does God's word tell us to do? Fellowship is important. There's a refreshing, there's an encouraging. When we come together, we worship the Lord, we read God's word, and we fellowship afterwards. And um, uh, we'll close with our text, go back to it, and we'll read the doxology at the end. And then I... I read my word, wisdom for today, for this morning, and I'll read that before um, I read our last three verses of 1 Corinthians 5. And I read it this morning, and I thought, Lord, this is perfect for maybe someone who really doesn't know Jesus, who heard about Jesus, um, but really doesn't have a personal relationship with him. And this is from Wisdom for Today. I think it's the best devotional out there. November 26, an inescapable appointment. Hebrews 9.27 says, it's appointed for man to die once, but after this, a judgment. Even as death is inescapable, so is the judgment of God. When we cease to live in this body, we meet God at our death, Our eternal destiny will be determined at that time. He is holy, righteous, and a true God, and only those who are holy and righteous will be allowed to share eternity with him. Men would like to live as though no judgment awaited them, 
The believer, the unbeliever, would like to think that he will never be required to answer God for the way he lived his life. But those who believe such things will be surprised because life is unfair. We need a future judgment. Evil men often prosper in this life while the righteous suffer persecution. Many people have gotten away with their evil deeds. For there to be equity, there must be a future justice in which these people pay for the evil they have done. John said, These things I have spoken to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. That's John, 1 John 5.13. That happens to be my dad's life first. That's the reason I'm reading it this morning. Question, are you ready for your appointment? With God, do you know for certain that you will spend eternity in the kingdom of God? I've said this a hundred times. I wouldn't walk out of the doors of this building unless I knew for sure my name was written in the book of life. It's like playing Russian roulette with your soul. Nobody gets away with anything. And he said, yeah, but this guy did this to me and I want vengeance. Well, guess what? Vengeance is whose? Nobody's gonna get away with anything. Everything's being recorded. And so your day of revenge will be taken care of because vengeance is mine, I will repay. So you can rest at peace with somebody that has done you wrong and thinking they're getting away with something who's an unbeliever. No, not getting away with anything. All right, let's close it up. Verse 23, 1 Thessalonians 5. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all and all God's people said, amen.